Welcome to the Talking Book Podcast. I'm Perry Patterson. And with it being the day before Veterans Day, I thought I would interview my father, who is a 94-year-old World War II veteran. My father, James Hickson, was in the Navy during World War II. He actually joined at age 17. He had his um, father's approval to sign him up. And um, he has been nominated Operation and Parade in Northport, Alabama, nominated to be the Grand Marshal for the Veterans Day Parade for the 2022 um, Veterans Day Parade and Celebration by a member of his church, and um, that particular person is also on the uh, a council member for Northport in uh, near the Tuscaloosa area, and he put together an application to nominate my father to be the Grand Marshal. Um, he wrote a nice little um, summary, which basically says, Jim is a healthy 94-year-old World War II veteran. He served on a minesweeper during the conflict, and he and his fellow servicemen received special recognition from President Harry Truman for their service. He joined the Navy at age 17 with his father's approval letter and served his country well. Jim lives in Northport, in the district that I serve as councilman, and this is Mr. Hinton's comments, he worked for many years in the Tuscaloosa area at Burton Klein Peter Incorporated engineering firm. Mr. Hickson is a civil engineer by trade. He's an active member of Northport Baptist Church. He's a fisherman and still goes fishing by himself on the Tuscaloosa lakes. Jim is a kind, caring person and is well-deserving of this honor. He is excited that I nominated him for the Northport 2022 Grand Marshal. And thanks go out to uh, Mr. Hinton, uh, the council member from the the District 3 in Northport community. Um, We thank you for the nomination. And um, my dad will be in the parade tomorrow for the first inaugural parade. But I decided that I might do a history, kind of an oral history with my dad. Um, Dad, uh, you were born in, what, 1927? 1928. 1928. May the 27th, 1928. So just before the stock market crashed. Yes, it was... Beginning to lift up uh, as I was growing up, and as a, of course, a little as a young boy, it finally got over with. But things were still not uh, very. Uh, people had a lot of hard times making enough living and so forth. In fact, my dad would walk, I guess, some three or four miles to the U.S. Steel plant where he worked. And uh, we lived in a little town called Wildham, Alabama, which is out of Birmingham. 
and that was in uh that was between the time you were born in 1928 until how long did you live in Wyland? was uh, i guess you moved sometime before or after you went into the navy during world war ii yeah we moved out of there moved to fairfield and that's where i was going to high school and uh playing football and i had made pretty good success in the football but the reason i went in the navy a teacher and i kind of got crossways and uh i was asked to leave the school <laughs> so do you want to do you want to go into uh what that was uh, about the, the the situation or the i because i remember um your mother my grandmother talking about how she would go up to the school quite a bit to see the so can you want to do you remember what what it was specifically or do you well uh, yeah uh, so what it was is we were in a study hall and this was a, a a substitute teacher oh. and the girl behind me was a friend of mine and one of my buddies that she dated had just gone in the service and she was writing a letter to him and I turned around to look at the letter and this teacher kind of shouted at me to put the letter down and I told her she didn't have to holler at me and anyway she came stomping around hit me in the head with a pencil and I took the pencil and broke it and we kind of had words and after that the coach said I have to go to another school okay and um so how, how did the conversation go with your father because this is when you were 17 right and it was 1944 when it you were was, 17 yeah, it was about it was right at around 1944 45 and uh my dad he he was not too happy about it, but I continued to talk to him and uh, I went to this other school for a while and uh, I finally told him that I just needed to get away. Mm -hmm. So I talked him into signing up and I was looking at a record here that I have at home and I went into the Navy on April and uh, my birthday was in May, which I turned 18 and they was put on a wooden minesweeper that was going into the Pacific and there were several other of the ships that went with us but the one I was on the captain was a senior commander and he we were in charge of leading the, the force but anyway I went ahead and got into the Navy and I was made a motor machinist mate in the engine room and when we got to Pearl Harbor they were trying to negotiate the, the uh, truce with the with the uh, Japanese and MacArthur did not release all of the Navy when they got to the Japs to start to surrender we had to go back into the islands that he had hop skipped because there was hundreds of Japs soldiers still on them. and we went to each and every one of them uh for for a little over a year or so and finally wound up sweeping tokyo bay and in, in, uh, in japan after we got to their that that country 
Talk a little bit about the islands that you went to in the Pacific too. And, and I, I think um, basically the Navy, your ship went in and then the Marines, were there Marines on your ship that would go in and actually tell the Japanese that the war was over? And, and how did that work? And did you, before you got to these islands, talk a little bit about the mine sweeping and what that really means so people can understand what that job was. What we had to do is we, let this about a three quarter inch cable, two of them out the back part of our ship with a float panel on it with a, with a thing that looked like a Venetian blind would pull this cable down to a certain depth, hopefully with the depth or the, that the mines were anchored on. And on this cable was a, was a sharp metal blade that would catch the mine cable and cut it and the mine would come to the surface then our ship would radio with the ship that laid two and they would come in and shoot the mine and blow it up and we would clean all of those around those islands and the marines would come in on their load in their uh on their landing craft and go into the islands they were not on our ship but they would go in and make sure that they cleaned out the Japanese that were on there. And then we would leave and go to another island. And we wound up going to just about a, uh, almost everyone in the South Pacific. And uh, some of them were still, were, were still pretty damaged. And, uh, but we, we managed to go and, and get, cut these mines and cut, bring them up and did the same thing in Japan. And some of them we had was a, was called um, acoustic mine. We'd go off with an electric current. We had a, another cable put out. It would sit that mine off uh, by electric current circulating around that cable. And these were a little bit more dangerous because the first time we went into one, I was in the engine room, and when the mine went off right behind the ship, it just shook everything and and uh, almost got us. But anyway, those things were were always cut and and damp and shot and blown up to get let the Marines go in on their landing crafts. All right, and how many mines did your ship actually take care of in the Pacific Ocean? Well, it was quite a few, and the reason that, that Truman had given us a, a job well done medal, a, a World War II medal, our ship had cut 36 mines out of an island called Truck Island. And Truck Island was a huge island. It was, and it's, I think it's some kind of a resort nowadays, but when we went in there, there was a whole pile of Japanese ships that were, had been blown up. It looked like Pearl Harbor went to uh, Japan for this, but our ship cut 36 mines out of there. And then there's some other smaller islands that we'd cut maybe four or five or six, six of them. And one island, the first one we went into, we cut and they shot the mine and it blew up and it killed a bunch of fish. And what was funny was a guy off, a native off the island came flying out there in his boat to pick up the, the fish that they killed. 
So what was your job on the, um, on the boat and what was the name of the boat that you were on? It was, uh, it wound up being the, uh, USS Osprey of 29. It started off at YMS, which was Yard Minesweeper. And the government decided, well, how can we call it Yard Minesweeper when we were all over the Pacific? So they changed the name to Auxiliary Minesweeper 20. Uh, and and uh, that was that was the last, that's the name uh, for the last time we had, had that ship out. And uh, my job was in the motor, in the engine room. I was a motor machinist mate, and it was my job to be in the engine room and, and of course, put the, the engines in forward and reverse and so forth. But most of the time I had to repair whatever was damaged on the engine and had to fix it and so forth. And so after um, you went to the islands like Guam and, and Truck Island and, and other islands in the Pacific to to do your jobs, you ended up in, uh, take the ship ended up in Japan, like right in, uh, or a city in Japan or docking in a city in Japan? We, we went to the city that was called Yokosuka, Japan. And uh, it was just below uh, Tokyo and uh, in the, about the mid part of the Japanese uh, bay and so forth. And uh, we we were there for for quite a while, and then I was I was transferred. That's where I was transferred and sent back to the United States on a fleet order to be discharged. And uh, the ship that I was on, it wound up I think later on going to Korea. But I had come home and, and uh, had taken my discharge. But tell us about being in Japan and who you met while you were there and whose house you were invited to. Yeah, I, uh, now this is a, a real, a real story that uh, is, to me, is pretty interesting. And I told it to someone here a while back and they, they thought that was, was pretty, uh, pretty interesting story. But as we got into Japan, they didn't let us go ashore for about maybe a month or so until they made sure that everything was, was safe for us. And while we were there, we had gone into a storm and had got a lot of water damage in the aft end of our ship. And I was repairing the ship and they put some Japanese laborers and Japanese machinists on there to help me with that work and they had an interpreter on there and this is the important part this interpreter was a pretty was a sort of young fella and the only thing he told me that he was a captain in the japanese imperial navy but he was in the china burma india campaign and that's all he told me Later on, that was, I'll show you where that's important. But during the time we were there, he invited me to his home with his mother and his father. At first, I wasn't sure, but I finally went. His mother would greet me like I was some important person, which 
they felt like I was. But anyway, they made me feel comfortable and, and welcome. And did you have to take off your shoes? I mean, was there yes. any, any? You had to take your shoes off and go in, and we would sit down on the floor. And his mother would put a shawl around my shoulders. She made a, 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 a silk scarf with my name on it in Japanese. But to move forward in this, now, I was sitting there one day and, and been there back and forth for oh, a month or two. And one afternoon, we were sitting there and this big Japanese guy came in. And it was Ichiro's father. He was an admiral in the Japanese Navy. And as we sat there talking, Ichiro turned around and says, Father wants to know where all you've been. And I named off several islands. And when I said truck islands, I saw him raise up. And I did too because I hit a nerve. Because that's where we had all of the Japanese warships that we blew up. Now, we, his father says not to worry that we were honorable men and served our country. And if it, we may not wanted to do some of the things we did, but we had to be honorable servicemen and we honored our country and served it well. Now, to move forward on that, on that particular man. And this was um, through the interpreter, the, the boy that you had met, his son. And yeah, he, was his in, son. he was interpreting what his father said. His father had said. Yeah, that and he said not to worry that we were honorable men and served our country. And so he was basically saying that you were honorable, you did what you were, your job required of your country, he did what his country required of him, is basically what he said. Yeah, that, that's and, right. And, and it's not anything between you and I personally, and he was trying to let That, that was what he age. was saying, that we, yeah. we just had to serve our country, and we were not now against each other. We could be friends. But now we're the... The big part comes in now is when I came home, there was a magazine called True Magazine. And in the back of that magazine was always a true story. And I was reading this story about a, a, an American serviceman. I think it maybe might have been a Marine. Do you remember what year that you were reading that magazine? Do you remember around what year it was? I would say in around in the mid fifties or, or somewhere like that. Not all the way. I don't believe all the way to the sixties. Okay. Because it was list wasn't long after I had been home. But in that magazine. This man was writing about being in a Japanese imperial uh, prison camp in the China-Burma-India campaign, talking about how bad they were treated and, and all of that, 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 that the Japanese would just beat them to death almost. Until one day, they called them and mustered them out into, the, out into, the, the, out into front of the buildings. 
and this guy, this Japanese said, this captain is leaving. He no longer will be here. This captain has taken over. And when that captain that came in and took over, he started to treat us with respect, giving us more food, giving us clothes and everything. And his name was Ichiro Suzuki. And it had to be the man that I was being friend, being befriended by there in Japan because of how nice he was. But as I said, he never told me what he did in China, Burma, India until I read this article. And it had to be him, Ichiro Suzuki. Because that was the name that he gave you that, when you met was, him and, that, it, and you were in his home. So, yes, I was in yeah. his house. So that's that's really interesting that um, that you came across that magazine article a few years later that um, that was interesting. Yes. Um, so do you want to talk a little bit about um, what it might have been like before you went into um, the war and you were still in high school as a teenager, what was it like to play football um, in high school and what was your position and, you know, without the padding and the protection and the and the types of helmets and the gear that they have today, what was that like playing football then? It was pretty tough because the, the equipment was not like this stuff. Now it was the pants and things were heavy and all that. But I was the left guard on the main, on the, on the uh, varsity. First, first varsity team. Mm -hmm. And I had a chance to go to the university through a rich guy I had so University of Alabama. Alabama. You need to yeah. be specific. <laughs> and uh, to the University of Alabama because it was a rich guy that had seen me. And I had a pretty good reputation of being pretty tough because I've had one girl that was in at one of the games and she told me that there were some guys from another school and pointed me out and said they had to make sure they had stopped me. But unfortunately, when I got into it with that teacher, I had to leave school and I didn't ever make it. But and then that's when you talked your dad into signing that's you up to, to go I'd into go the in, Navy. I'd go into the Navy because of that. And I couldn't I couldn't go any further playing the football. Um, when you when you were discharged uh, and you came back from Japan, where did you first um, come back into the United States? I came in on a, on a fleet oiler, and I came into Seattle, Washington, and I got discharged in Seattle, Washington, and then flew from there to Atlanta and then to, to Birmingham. I thought, I thought you had said you had gone to San Francisco sometime at some point. I was in San Francisco when I went into the Navy. They sent me to San Diego to the Naval Training Center. And I spent my time in the Navy Training Center, and they put me through uh, the classes to be able to become a, a motor machinist mate. Then they sent me and the rest of the guys that was going with me to San Francisco and there we picked up the the, the minesweepers, and uh, we we traveled around in San Francisco Bay, taking the other teams with us, and practicing to putting out the mine equipment, and and uh, trolling around with it on, uh, to make sure that they got training enough to to be able to do it when we got 
to the Pacific and into the islands. Okay. And here we are today in November of 2022. And you will be 95 right. on May the 27th of this year, which will be just uh, about, what, six months, almost six months away. And tomorrow you will be uh, the World War II veteran that will be representing uh, the World War II, the World War um, in the Veterans Day Parade as a Grand Marshal. So, um, and I know that you didn't feel like you deserved it, but I think it's very exciting and you'll have several family members there, myself, my husband, and and um, some other people in the that will be watching uh, that are family. Um, and I think everybody's like super thrilled for you, excited, and I think it's going to be, you know, a lot of fun and something that we'll be able to remember. And especially with this oral history, um, you know, something interesting that people, um, a lot of people have probably oral histories um, from their uh, grandparents and great grandparents and things like that. But to be able to hear stories like this um, and to remember our, our past, because, you know, people that were there, they experienced these things, they tell about them and write them down. And then we save them for years and years and years and can read about them. It's really, really interesting to, to be able to have this and to be able to do this. I'm going to add, um, a picture of you uh, in your Navy uniform um, to the Talking Book uh, Instagram page, along with just a little snippet about this um, interview that we did. And this is just a pop-up interview that I wanted to do since I was visiting with my dad um, the day before um, he is going to be in the parade. So I thought, you know what, I'll just get him to talk a little bit about his time in the Navy and and his job um, and what who he got to meet and those kinds of things. And I think that'll be just, you know, a, a neat way to, to honor um, those who served um, and to thank them for what they did for our country and for our, and helping to preserve our freedoms and, and the things that we enjoy here in the United States. Thank you for your service. Thank you for all that you do. And tell, uh, a service member that um, someone that you might know that's in the military currently or someone who has served tell them thank you when you see them next and thank you so much dad thank you for the taking time to talk to me about that and um we'll put this up and i'll send you the link through email good deal thank you the magazine that my dad referred to true also known as True, the men's magazine, was published by Fawcett Publications from 1937 until 1974. Known as True, a man's magazine in the 1930s, it was labeled True, number one's magazine in the 1960s by Peterson Publishing, who took over the January 1975 issue. It was sold to Magazine Associates in August of 1975 and ceased publication shortly thereafter. Stands for freedom, and they can't take that away. And I'm proud to be an American, where at least I know I'm free. And I won't forget the men who died, who gave their lives.